For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. Before we begin, a huge thank you to everyone who's been sharing about the podcast after I asked you to. It means a lot. I love it. And actually, when you do it on Instagram, I always check out what you do. And it's really nice for me to see who's listening, who's into eco things and activism, who's got small businesses. Talking of which, our brand new Wardrobe Crisis Academy course opens tomorrow. It's called Sustainability for Small Business and Conscious Creatives. And it's all online self-paced so you can take it whenever there's no like official start date but if you're interested check it out we'd love to see you there wardrobecrisisacademy.com anyway here we go quick shout out to some of the fab listeners who've shared about the show this week in no particular order and sorry if i've missed you this time we'll do it again Thank you to Penny, who runs a sustainable homewares store called Merry at Home. It's all made in Australia. To London fashion blogger Kirsty Warris, you can check her out at Girl with Bells and Whistles. To Italian sustainable fashion designer Emma Maiorino. To Kalima Kalinda, and that's a very nice upcycled brand based in Madrid, actually. Shout out to Rosa who decided economists are interesting after all, after listening to Tim Jackson. (laughs) And Rosa is an Australian designer who makes lovely size-inclusive dresses, really good prints, under a label called Kada Todo. And thank you to Remake Ambassador Pooja, she blogs at envogue.biz, to Dutch sustainability consultant Mathilde Teuben, to my mate stylist Jenny Garcia in the UK, to Kirsty Ryan Sinclair, and finally... To Devika from Conscious Consumer Blog, the Devi Collective. Thank you. How are you this week? I wanted to ask you what star sign you are. I love this stuff. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the podcast before, but hop on Instagram and tell me. I'm so interested. <laughs> My guest today is an Aries son, the natural born leaders of the zodiac, which is very fitting. She is Mara Hoffman, and she is so terrific. What a lovely human. I just couldn't enjoy this interview more if I tried. There's a bit at the end, particularly great, when she talks about beauty and how it relates to nature. I've listened to it like three times. It's lovely. Now, Mara Hoffman's namesake New York brand has become a sustainable fashion leader. They do a bunch of cool stuff, things like working with natural dyes. There was this really lovely botanical dyes capsule collection last year. It was with a natural dyer. Her name is Cara Marie Piazza. So nice. We'll share a link. They've done, what else? Regenerative ag projects. They've even started a peer-to-peer pre-loved Mara Hoffman marketplace, actually. It's called Full Circle, and we talk about that. They do stuff like work with a local social enterprise called Custom Collaborative, just so much. You can find out about all this on marahoffman.com or if you're in New York, you can go by their store in Soho and ask. They love to hear from you. We talk about that and why physical stores and boutiques can give us ways of being together and connecting that just don't work the same way online. What else? Oh yeah, we get into the burden of physical stuff. I feel like lots of people relate to this. But I ask her particularly about, do you feel guilty as a designer? And should we feel guilty as makers or creators if we're putting more stuff out into the world? And we talk about the responsibility that comes with that. 
Yeah, lots of stuff about how to implement sustainable change in business and beyond. And the way that Mara's done it just by diving in and figuring it out as she went. We talk about talking to plants. We both love plants. I'm sure many of you love plants. Do you talk to them? That's what I want to know. What's your star sign? And do you talk to your plants? We also get into the legendary costume designer, Patricia Field, the one from Sex and the City. She is amazing. I really want to get her on the show. I'm going to try. You'll also hear Mara mention a show that she did at Fashion Week back in 2018 with Soil and Lilies as the kind of set, very elegant, but funereal on purpose. And this is what she wrote to explain it on social media at the time. She said the collection was about learning to let go allowing things to die with grace and joy, throwing beautiful funerals for things that we don't need. Now, I thought that was such an interesting take to apply more broadly to the unsustainable old ways of doing fashion, right? Very timely, isn't it? A few years later. Let me know what you think. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Mrs. Press. The show's on Instagram at The Wardrobe Crisis. And actually, I'd also recommend that you watch Mara and her sustainability director, Dana, talk about how they work together and some more detail on their circularity projects over on the Mara Hoffman Instagram. They did this very good live last year. We'll share a link in our show notes, which you can find as usual at thewardrobecrisis.com. All right, let's get to it. This is so cool. I'm very excited we're getting to do this. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Claire. I'm fascinated by the time zone difference and I didn't even put it together until I saw that it was I was invited to 8.30 in the morning. Is that what time it is for you? It is. I just said I need to double check we're recording. I was minor freak out mode because today's the first day of Mercury retrograde, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Any complications yet today? So far, so good on my end. How about you? Crossing fingers. But are you into astrology? Because I really am. I, I, I am. What's your sign? Let's start there. <laughs> so I'm a Gemini. Oh, perfect. A Pisces uh-huh. moon. And what's your rising? Capricorn. Oh, I have a rising Capricorn. Oh, do you? Like like yeah. the goat who's always relentlessly going up the hill and won't give up. <laughs> yeah, that's us. But I have an Aries sun and then the cap rising and a Leo moon. Oh, I see. I ask you this because I do love astrology, actually. I think it's Me a too. beautiful framework. And yeah, I'd noticed that you do. Did you? Do you have an astrologer? I've worked with different people. I just did an amazing session. I'll plug her with this woman, Danny, um, Danielle Beinstein. Oh, I've heard of her. Oh, she's awesome. It was such a solid, solid reading. And I've gone back and listened to it and it's 100% worth it. And she knows what she's talking about. We're going to get off astrology, but just while we're still here, it's <laughs> very. This is the only thing we're, talking the thing we're about, into. Okay? But it's actually such interesting times for change and for a whole new era. If you look at what happened from December 2020, we're, we're supposed to be in a whole new mode, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Where hopefully, like all the old stuff, I don't want it to crumble because that's stressful, but how we transition into a new mode of being. It feels like that's happening. And I I think that you can't get there without crumbling in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it can be so, it's like the destruction before the rebuild. Um, And I feel like that's happening on all different levels all around us right now. Things are coming apart and there's blessings in it for sure, but it's also pretty major. (laughs) Mm. 
But it's also interesting to think about that in terms of sustainability, because the old systems do need to be completely overhauled. And we do need to, I mean, crumbling is good when it comes to that, right? We've got to completely redraw our relationship with the natural world and with social sustainability. Agreed. A hundred percent. Have you got a dog there? I do. I'm so sorry. No, that's actually my favorite thing. Who, who is it? That's Luce. She, she, I told her she wasn't allowed to talk right now, but she has other plans. Um, yes, that's my girl. What, what, what is Luce? Tell me what kind. She's a rescue. We, we got her in, the, in May of 2020 when it was the most impossible thing to find a dog. I don't know what it was like there, but literally trying to rescue a dog here in the States was like filling out applications for the most prestigious universities that you could imagine, and you were still declined. I would write these essays <laughs> as to why we would make the best parents and the home we would give her and what we could, and, and just declined and declined. And then finally, Luce came to be, and she's the greatest. She's, she's just perfect. It was worth waiting for. She found us. She chose us. Oh, Luce. Well, everyone wanted one. Yeah. I hope that, but have you actually... Have you been seeing that now, of course? I read this about the UK. Everyone wants to give them back because they've gone back to work. I mean, that's just... That's so horrible. Let's talk about your new store, though. You opened at the end of November. It's on Lafayette in Soho, mm -hmm. and it's your first mm -hmm. flagship after 21 years in business. I want to ask you why yep. did it take so long, but did you consult the stars about the timing? Well, I think that I've gone through different phases of it because we were so ready to open this store before the pandemic. And there were all of these obstacles that kept getting in our way, leases that weren't coming through, landlords that weren't getting back to us. It's like everything that we got excited about fell through. It was all divine intervention. It was all like preparing us for what was to come. I mean, thank God that we hadn't signed something a month before and we're sitting on some crazy lease. So this had been something that we had started to actualize probably in 2018. It still took a while, considering mm. I started the company in 2000. And then after everything just sort of clicked into place. One might argue that it's not an obvious time to go into bricks and mortar. <laughs> what do you think about that? And, and I'm interested to know why you think it's important to have a physical space. I... I'm someone who really believes in like the full sensory experience of, of what it is to experience something. So we've all become so disconnected in a way. And thank God that we've built this business digitally. And I'm so grateful for that part. But there's been this missing link. And mm -hmm. it's that link of what happens when you walk into a space what do you smell? What do you hear? What comes over you? What do you feel? And it's the full emotional connect. And as I think about, and as we've talked about quite a bit, what it means now, like the act of consumption and what it means to purchase things and how we've gone into this phase of sort of mindlessly doing it. And so the idea of having a space is 
a way to reconnect us to the act of consumption and and to experience it in a much more intimate way. And I've been so looking forward to even connecting with human beings, being able to be in the store, being able to tie a belt on someone, mm-hmm. to offer a different suggestion, to speak to people. I think we've all been dying for this. So even though maybe on a business level, and it, it's a trickier time to do that because obviously now with this new strain and what we've been experiencing, people still aren't out and about the way that they were. But I really believe that we're it's still the right time for it. And I, I do work with a, a really important guide and she looked at it. She works more on channeling actually. So it was less on an astrological level, but this no. was in July and she said, okay, she called it out. She was like, okay, here's the deal. The store, open the store, but expect for no business this winter. She's like, the pandemic's coming back. Wow. The store, but if you can hold on and you can get through to the spring, that's when your business shows up. We were going forward with the store regardless of that conversation, but it's so funny now seeing it happen. And now it's just about kind of bearing down, buying our time, being thoughtful and getting ourselves to to the spring. (laughs) I like how you talked about the connectivity that you get from physically going into a store, being able to talk to someone, maybe someone does tie the belt on you, but being able to ask about the product and touch it and hear stories about it. There's obviously a connection with sustainability there because I'm not saying we should never shop online, but there is this kind of disconnect that happens where we know just from the sheer volume of returns that's been happening during the pandemic, you make purchases without really thinking about them. You're sort of just bored and it's so easy. Whereas when you go into a store, you have to commit more maybe to the process. I think so. Definitely. It slows the process down. It's like you actually have to take the time out of your day to make your way to this place, to go through the effort. And it, mm. it just slows, it definitely, it slows the whole process. It puts more thought to it, more connectivity to it. I don't know, more commitment to the thing that you're actually purchasing in a way. It's like, th- that's been this idea too, of how we relate to everything material in our lives right now and and restructuring that and recommitting the way that we interact with everything that we bring in that is a material made thing. And so the store, I think, is part of that process. Also, the store for me is a way to hold other space and to open up for community, a thing we did before the pandemic that was so important to the brand and, and to our way of, you know, what sustainability actually means it's also completely full of plants it's full of plants (laughs) it's like plant mania i it's i don't know i feel like that's always my number one design go-to it's like when i think about something on a design level it always starts with the plants but i was also thinking this is in the it's in new york city who doesn't need to walk into a space (gasps) Mm. And take that breath and feel something different right now. I feel like that's also part of my job is to remind people, you know, and to for help people to remember, like remember themselves, remember their connectivity to nature, remember their links to other human beings. It's like putting ourselves literally to remember ourselves, put ourselves back together and put ourselves back together with each other. Plants do that. Plants help. Plants are the medicine. Plants are the ones, the big teachers. They're trying. 
Do you talk to them? I talk to mine. I'm going to send you a picture afterwards. And I talk to them every morning. Doesn't it feel so good? It's just there's this return connectedness to it. And I I can just sit in that space and thank them and and compliment them. Like I love I love I love complimenting human beings and finding what's beautiful. But the plants, I can just talk about the new leaf that's growing, how beautiful what they (laughs) I go, hello, aren't you clever? Look at you, a new one. (laughs) All right, let's talk about New York because there is a timeliness to this particular conversation about New York and Fashion Week being when this airs in full swing, actually the last day, I think. But I was interested just in your take on that. What's your relationship with Fashion Week? Yeah, it's funny. The last live way that I participated in Fashion Week was, I'm trying to think if it was spring 18. I I don't, it was a few years ago, maybe three years ago. And the last thing I did live was I held a funeral And the idea was about like putting these unnecessary parts of ourselves back in the ground, like burying Mm -hmm. them, like come to the funeral, let's say goodbye to these parts. And I brought in all this soil into the space and all these live lilies. And I had this band playing just like celebratory, beautiful, but like death songs. And that was the last time. And I, it wasn't my intentionality that I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to go out on a funeral. It was the thing that had come up that was so important for me to do that, okay, I need to host this. This is the creativity that's coming through. But since then, I just haven't been called to it by any means. I think we've been shifting the way that we present, the way that we're showing up on a schedule-wise. Like, when we put a collection up now, say on Vogue to be reviewed, we're not doing our future collection. We're doing uh, more of like a, a see now, buy now collection. So we're showing in season. And so that was a big changing part. And also it was around the energetic output. I, I think about that on all levels. I think what is this going to take from me and what's the return? Mm. I, I loved shows that Moon and Leo. I am a <laughs> hey everybody, look at look at this. I I love it. I I truly do. But what it would take energetically and the resources to put something like that on, it just it stopped. Or I don't even know if it ever really did have a return on a business level or on an energetic level. It was great on a creative level, on an ego level, and all those parts. It was so mm. much fun. But the other parts weren't adding up. And when I removed that from my equation, it was like I could breathe again. And it gave me all this other space to be thinking more into the actual collections and what I was doing within my business. So I don't judge people for doing them. I think that a lot of them are so wasteful and crazy Mm. um, if we're thinking environmentally. But I think I grew out of that. Gosh, there's so much in that. But I was also thinking of emerging designers whose big dream for many remains to have a show at Fashion Week and to be paid attention to by the big editors. Of course, I get it. But it's so expensive and there's so much noise and it's so hard to cut through. You're right. It's so crowded right now, too. It just, it became... Like you said, I've been in this for 21 years. I had my fair share of showing and showing up and doing that. So it's easy for me now to say, okay, well, now I don't need to do it but because I did Mm -hmm. it. And like I filled that, that need. But it was also a different time. And the schedule wasn't so crazy. And I mean, I was doing shows when there was no 
reviews online. I was doing shows when I would walk to the bodega and buy the WWD to read the review the next day Mm -hmm. and be like crossing my fingers when I opened the newspaper that there was going to be a good review. I mean, really, it's been such a fascinating thing, just that being in business for this span of time, like before internet, after internet, uh, before social media, after social media. And I'm so grateful that I've experienced both sides of this coin. <laughs> mm, you didn't answer my question as to why it took you so long to open a store. <laughs> it just felt less important. Mm. It, it just, I kind of have always gone on my own timing and I, I wanted that. to do other things at different times. And at one point, a store just felt like a heavy lift and, or something that, oh my God, it was like one more thing and I didn't have the bandwidth. You know, and then I was just so focused on online and building my website and that that was it. And it would be crazy to open a store. And then the idea of the store became like the antidote to the digital experience. So it all just is like following the right timing. I did just want to ask you, Mara, briefly, if you've been looking at the reports around the proposed Fashion Sustainability and Social Accountability Act. I had to read that. I can't remember it. On next week's show, we're going to hear from Maxine Badat on this, and she's the founder of the New Standard Institute, which is partly behind it. So you can listen to that one next week, everyone. But essentially, it's quite a far-reaching proposal to introduce social and environmental sustainability measures into the New York fashion scene legislatively. I just wondered what you thought about it, Mara. I'm, you know, I'm behind it. I feel like legislative change is, it's critical in order for there to be any kind of large scale impact. Mm. We've always believed that so much of the onus is on the brands. I mean, it's the only way to Like the brands have to take responsibility for this, especially these major ones and who's being targeted within this act. I think that it's an awesome start. We're definitely behind it and I'll join the coalition. I think there's so much to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it's really easy to pull things apart and I think it's really hard to make things happen. So I'm here for things happening. I mean, there's always going to be holes in any plan or any system, but if that's all we're focusing on are the parts that aren't working of it, it's impossible to get things, anything off the ground. We always get in our way. So I think it's a great start. I'll be curious to see more about where the community fund is going to be used. I think that's a really interesting part of it. Um, And I'd like to see that it'll be interesting to see more leaders in the space and peers getting involved who's you know whose voices have really been there and and been fighting for this change for years and especially people in the BIPOC communities I think that there's a lot that can happen with this. Mm. It's interesting watching sustainability evolve in the US from I mean you know I'm in Australia but from Europe it has seemed to be behind And yet now it seems to be ramping up. So actually the first piece of modern slavery legislation in the world was introduced in California. So legislatively you've been ahead in pockets. That came in, I think, in 2010, introduced in 2010. But now I'm seeing a lot more interest and a lot more pressure on the bigger names to talk about it. What do you reckon? I mean, you've been doing this for ages. Great. Yes, let's go. Let's hold accountability, responsibility, 100%. We can't, it's like, yes. (laughs) I, I, you know, I'm I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm always in both space. I'm always Mm -hmm. one foot in 
the the conflict of it and mm. one foot in the, in the hope of it. I think when it comes down to it, I remain a hopeful human being, and that's part one of my gifts. But I also recognize uh, how many parts there are that need to come together, and how many egos are behind all of those parts, and how many feelings of people that are behind those parts and we're just continually getting in the way of our own betterment and our own savior it's like we just trip on ourselves constantly as humans <laughs> but did did you feel it so you started this work back in 2015 then did you feel like an outlier well i definitely didn't feel like a pioneer when we started i felt late and for some perspective on it really there weren't like it was just such a different conversation. This is six years ago. And so much has happened between now and then. I mean, you know, like think about the conversation and how much it shifted in the fashion space. And then it was, there were the, the big players that you could look to who are extremely helpful also in our own journey, Stella and Eileen and Patagonia and uh, the people that had been pioneering this work on a larger scale but it wasn't um like that we had all of these peers or these coalitions or these groups that we could get to and share resources so it was a much slower build at the time for us but yeah i mean fast forward to thinking about like you can't start a business now unless that is your, this is true your course i mean you can and people are every day but i, I feel like it would be a pretty like shameful act to start a business in fashion right now without this being you know your core route I agree with you that it's really changed enormously and that these conversations used to be considered a bit niche and a bit outsider and now they're completely normalized which is brilliant that's what we want mm -hmm. we always talk about how we want sustainable fashion not to have to have that descriptor that just fashion is sustainable and you know we don't need to start saying this stuff's sustainable fashion what's that stuff over there then it would be good not to have to Delineate. I, I think we have a long way, but yes. I want to talk about Full Circle. I love this. Essentially, it's your own marketplace for pre-loved Mara Hoffman. Could you tell us about it? Well, this is an exciting one that I am seeing a lot of brands starting to do, which is awesome. It's a way for us to extend the life cycle of anything that we're putting out there. And basically the way that it works is if you have something that, you, that you've worn and you're done wearing it and it's in relatively good shape, you can list it on our site and it's a peer-to-peer -peer program. So when that piece sells, you get a credit towards something, towards our site, anything that you want. So it's a way to sort of let go of something old in order to acquire something new, but you're keeping it in the circle and you're keeping it out of landfills for longer. And we're teaching people how to re-examine the way that they hold on to and the, their pieces and the way that they shop going forward and just more longevity in everything we're doing. I think as designers and as a, as a company, it's really easy to think about just, well, sustainable practices or how you could be of less harm at the beginning of the process. But the biggest real goal is figuring out the end of life process for what you're doing. And I think as brands take 
ownership of their own secondhand market too, it maybe it destigmatizes it as well, and it brings it under the the whole experience of the brand and the the feeling that you get to still have by acquire, like being able to buy into the brand directly. And there is something special about the full experience. Or I'm so excited with the store to be able to expand this program into our store so that people can do it in real time too, mm-hmm. so that they they have the opportunity to walk in and leave with something and also on a price point level I understand you know that what we do is not accessible to everyone of course it isn't so being able to engage as many people that are interested in either the aesthetic or our practices is also a goal for us and I'm also for the other anywhere honestly that you can find and purchase previously loved pieces from our brand. I I am so happy when, when I, I love the real, real, I love that you can buy them on eBay and uh, anywhere that people are practicing this to me is awesome. Of course, the other reason that I wanted to begin there is the name of it. So when you, when you first started your brand, it was called Circle mm-hmm. back in 2000. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that it's been six years or so now that you've been working on sustainability. Tell us the story of Changing Direction. I've actually heard you talk about it before. I've heard Dana Davis, who's your vice president of sustainability, talk about it. What happened? Did you really say to her, we're going to have to change or shut this business? Yes, definitely. I'm, uh, another reminder, I'm an Aries. <laughs> we, we, we feel things very direct and very immediate and impatiently. Dana is a Capricorn who feels things very um, methodically and takes her time and is incredibly grounded and says, whoa. So yes, <laughs> don't that's close. Right. No, we don't need to hold on. We don't need to close. Um, there's ways to rethink things. But did you feel that? Did you feel like this is really yeah, serious? I felt, I felt extreme urgency. I felt that I was so uncomfortable that you know, I, I talk about this part of all things too, that discomfort is like your best friend and the really, really uncomfortable shit is like where it's at, like follow it, listen to it, like listen, let it talk, not like, please go away, I can't hear you. It's like, no, keep telling me, telling me. So that was one of those big moments that I was extraordinarily uncomfortable. I felt kind of helpless and stuck and I had no idea how we would do it. But I had enough kind of fire in my gut to say I'm up to try it. And thank God she didn't say to me, okay, great, let's close. I have no idea what we're doing. And neither of us knew what we were doing. What happened? What was the catalyst? You know, I was had become more aware of what was happening in the in the industry for a few years prior to this. So, you know, like that movie had come out, The True Cost. I think that was a little bit before I had friends that were in different, you know, one of my best friends is in jewelry and she had built her company with that built into her ethos more of like using recycled metals and it had already been thinking along those lines. So I, I felt this behindness in what I was doing. And I, it was also coupled with the way that the, my business was ramping up and who who I was answering to and who I was ending up designing for and the price points I was trying to meet. And I had this total disconnect from the aesthetic that was happening, the pace in which it was, how we needed to get to where we were, these, these goals. And I didn't 
resonate. I didn't even want to wear what we were doing anymore. So it was this kind of full storm. And at the time, my son, he was three. And that was a big part of it. Of yeah coming to grips with what this legacy was going to be, like the literal physical objects I was going to be leaving to him. Like, what was he going to do with all of the things that I had made? There was a lot. Oh, gosh, that to me, the legacy of stuff. I, stuff. I think about it all the time. What? Who has to deal with what we leave behind? Are we sure that we're leaving treasures and not just clutter? I think about that a lot, honestly. I know it's morbid, but I think about it with my parents. I think about, mm. I think about that of all that my my father has so many things, and his things have so much weight in my like energetic field. And I'm like, oh my god, the things. We have to be so careful, don't we, about what we acquire and create. And I also think that brings up for me something I hear often when talking to designers about guilt that the tension between the desire to create but then the feeling guilty that maybe you're adding to problems. Well, I think that that's a good thing to be thinking about. And as we, our job as, as creatives isn't just to be this, you know, personal expression of our, our own egos. I think part of our main asks right now is how to solve problems and how to take that creativity and aesthetic that we are gifted with knowing how to do and apply that to solutions and to making things better. I, I'm someone who believes deeply in the power of beauty and that beauty is one of the a very important parts of the human dilemma that we're in right now and that we can't ignore that to move forward with this, that it's, it's essential, but we have to be, we have to be so strategic right now and we have to be so purposeful in anything that we are creating. And I think that that's such a huge part of now what really challenges a role of a design house. And I can speak for the conversations that I have with my design team. And I am so hard with them in the sense that like, what is the purpose? Why, why are we doing this? Explain to me, is there so much of this out here? Why does anyone need this from us? Tell me. And Mm -hmm. it's really challenging each aspect. So it's not just this free reign anymore of just design what you feel like putting out there. We can't do that anymore. Like those days are so far gone. And I think about these kids in school too and the challenge that's placed upon them. Look, I graduated from school in 99. I was not thinking about this. I was in that group of design what you love just express yourself like you have a point of view you're talented express it good people will buy it may I ask you to tell us the Patricia Field story because you happened upon her when you were just a new graduate right yes so as I said I graduated in 99 from Parsons and honestly even at that time I had no idea what I was supposed to do with myself. I had been making clothes all along through school. I would challenge myself, like wake up in the morning and make my outfit for school. So like how fast could I make whatever I would be wearing? This really? Awesome. Yeah, deep <laughs> construction. I had an overlock, like a serger machine, and I would take an old pair of stockings and throw them through. And that would be my shirt and I'd reconstruct something. It was just in this. So I was making pieces and this is right after graduation, and I was bringing clothes to a friend of mine's store who she would let me sell things on consignment there. And I ran into Patricia Fields, and this was at the very beginning of Sex in the City. She was in there buying clothes for this show she was about to do called oh, Sex well. in the City, right? 
sounded very cool, sounded interesting, and she liked what I had on. And just for those of you that are younger, she was, uh, she still is, she's just an icon of fashion and of New York City. And back in these days and way before that, she had stores in New York, and one of them was called House of Field, one of them was Hotel Venus, and she was like, the epicenter for club kids and drag queens and like where you would go to find your wigs. And it was just the most uh, creative people working there. And she had indie designers that she was selling. And so I knew I like worshiped her and I worshiped her stores and I would, you know, any money that I had in college, I'd spend in her stores. And so I knew who she was. Everybody knew who she was. She was famous in New York. And she liked what I had on when we met and she asked what I had in the bag and she bought the contents of the bag for $250 and I gave her the bag. And the next day she had her buyers call me for those two stores and we set up an appointment and they came to my little studio apartment that I was making everything out of. And I had a big pile, literally a pile of clothes on the floor and I sat them on my futon (laughs) and I put everything on. I dressed and undressed. They were the kind of people that were fine with that. Yes. <laughs> um, and then they placed an order and it was my first order. And it was the jump off point. It was the beginning. How brilliant. She's brilliant, isn't she? Because I've met other designers who remember how she helped them. She was always, she's still here did not work on and just like that, but she's yeah. still around and she was just so supportive of young talent, wasn't she? She was. She, she's an Aquarius, for the record. <laughs> and yeah, and just she saw it and was so generous with her help. And that was, it's her gift. So I was asking about how things are different for designers today compared to back then. And, you know, what you think about putting more product out into the world, should we? How do you, how do you view that? Now it just comes with so much more responsibility that honestly don't do not make another single thing unless it is part of a a solution. And, you know, I am not foolproof on that, nor is my company. We have so far to go and everything we do has not, does not have a worked out solution. There are parts of my company that I am so eager to reform and do better. And even in some of my materials, that is a huge challenge. Like thinking about plastics in any, in any Mm -hmm. way, even recycled plastics right now at the time when we began and we're working with switching out our swimwear out of conventional poly and spandex blends and then moving into a recycled, like that felt like a win at the time. But to me, there's no win in that. Because of microfibers. Yeah, because of microfibers, because we're still working, even in recycled plastics, it doesn't matter. It's like we've got to eliminate it out. So just working as quick and hard as we can to find a solution for that. So, I mean, there's parts, there's just so much to keep going. That's the thing. It's like the idea of sustainability is this this constantly evolving work. It isn't this destination that you get to as a design house Mm -hmm. or fashion and say, oh, we are sustainable now. It's honestly, it's a framework and it's an ideology and it is continually changing and the goalposts are continually moving. How did you begin? So after that kind of epiphany, how did you actually do it? I know that obviously you've working very closely with Dana, but what did you do to start with focus on materials? 
And we focused on materials first. We, f- we first looked at the business. The first thing was, what are we doing? Like actually taking a real inventory of all of our processes, what fabrics we were working with, who are our manufacturing partners, all the parts, and then sort of divided it up. Like, you know, what's okay? What can wait? What needs, what's like critical for change immediately? What are our goals? And so the first, I think the very first thing we did was shift out, like I said, the swim materials. We switched out our printing processes from a wet printing to digital printing. So to just create less waste, less water usage there. Did you bring in an external consultant or did you figure it out together? Oh. No, we figured it out together. Dana's amazing. And I just like looking at who she has become in these past six years is pretty epic where I, I look at her as such an, an authority in this space right now. I think listeners who have brands would be so interested to hear this. So Dana was your production manager and you mm-hmm. figured this out yourself. And I think that one of the things that can really be a barrier to people who have existing brands at whatever size, I'm not talking about a giant luxury conglomerate, but an existing brand and they want to make sustainable change. They don't know where to begin. And maybe you think, well, I don't have the money to hire a giant consultancy firm, but you, you just did it. You sat down and went, all right, we'll work with the resources we have. We've got a passion to do it. So we'll begin. Yeah. And you know, we, again, I put so much on that, that just fearlessness of reaching out to everybody. And I think that such a huge part of this movement is through collaboration and conversation and sharing every sharing everything that you have. Like that's the way to do it. And and at the beginning, we were so lucky to have people that were ahead of us, way ahead of us, that shared with us. And you know, we've returned that multiple fold since then. And I think that that's the way is that we have to be more connected as an industry so that you don't feel like an island. And if you are a brand and you're beginning this, you're not like, oh my God, I'm alone in this because you're not alone. Because now there are so many people that have done this work and Mm. there are so many resources out there for better materials and better manufacturing partners. And it's there. How big was your company then in terms of staff numbers? Roughly. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think, oh, God, maybe we were 15 then. Okay, thank you. So materials, that's an obviously great place to start. We've talked about what you're doing with Full Circle now. But let's talk about some of the collaborative things you've done. Actually, one of them is called Custom Collaborative, but you talked about how you can't be an island and you need to work with others. Tell us about some of those projects. What are you doing with Custom Collaborative? Well, now we're, I mean, we are always evolving with them and working with them or figuring out ways in which we can definitely the the pandemic really uh put a wrench in a couple things mm. but for us our one of our long-standing goals is really to figure out a framework for a workforce development um, and that's what custom collaborative does is that they train women many immigrant women, women who have come from underserved situations that come into their program and learn skills, learn skills to go into the fashion industry, particularly under the lens of sustainability, but from anywhere from technical design, you know, from the creative parts to the more logistical parts of running a business and how they could be then fit into a business. So for us, it's about 
figuring out ways to expand that program and show more case studies of how this can then be connected and in partnership with more brands like us. Where do you manufacture most of your collections? We're all over. So we produce quite a bit in the United States, from New York to Los Angeles or California. We produce in India, we produce in Asia, we produce in Peru. Uh, Now in Europe as well, in Portugal. And has that been a hard, when you began, was it hard to get transparency on that or were you already quite aware of who you were dealing with and how it worked? I think it was also part of our audit in that beginning is understanding who had what in place on an environmental and on a human-centric workforce level. How were their employees treated? We've always been very present in all of our factories, but when we made that shift, it became that much more urgent that we were present everywhere we were manufacturing. And then, you know, there are people that we couldn't go forward with and people that really grew with us and were able to commit to what we were looking for. And so it's been an incredible process of partnerships that have lasted this whole time and they've transformed themselves. So, and then new partnerships with factories and manufacturers who are already ahead of the curve. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we're incredibly particular about who we work with. We rarely take on new partnerships and we try to build with the ones that we have. We're running out of time, but I want to ask you where this comes from in you. Is it about women's empowerment? I love, I really love human beings. I love the opportunity that I have to work so closely in a, in a collective effort to try and make something better. And that mm-hmm. drives me. And I love being in such intimacy with people where we mess up together and we stand back up together. I think about it in, in terms of the pandemic. It was the hardest, hardest thing that we went through as a company. You know, we went into lockdown on March 14th and my birthday is March 30th. A few days before my birthday, we furloughed half of the company. The company cut in half in two weeks. And what that was to go through that with this group of people and to go through the people with the people that, you know, we rode this thing out with. It was one of the most intimate experiences of my life. And it, it, it reaffirmed how important it is to go at this as a collective. And that if we are going to make shifts and changes and like flip, the direction of what is happening, we cannot go about it alone. So I think ultimately that drives me more than anything is being in connectedness and and trying to change the course for humanity and the planet. And I, I know that that sounds so ridiculous and huge to be like, oh, we're trying to change the course. But I believe in that relationship of like, if you change things on these very small levels, that it, 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 everything affects everything. So even the smallest act of address being put onto a person and they feel beautiful and they see themselves in a light of strength or potential, that that feeling 
will translate itself into a series of experiences for that person. You know, when you feel good, you see good and you experience, you know, things start transforming for you. When you feel like horrible, when you wake up in the morning, like you you tend to draw in those types of experiences and see the world in that lens. So even in these small acts of experiencing beauty, you are slowly transforming things into a bigger picture. So I, I, I just, I don't know, I feel in awe of those like small acts that, that add up to very large acts. I love how you speak about the importance of beauty. And I think that sometimes in these big conversations about climate change and sustainability, we forget that beauty is at the core of why so many of us were drawn to fashion and that it is actually important. I think we wouldn't be living on such a breathtakingly, magnificently beautiful, can you just beautiful planet if it wasn't important if we weren't here our our most greatest act is just to like humbly like be in service and to imitate her and to try and like reflect back the beauty that is just so graciously given to us on this planet and if that wasn't important this planet would be a very every it would just be such a different visual for us so i think that that just confirms it for me it's extraordinarily important. We are, we're trying to save that, <laughs> not mm. just the beauty, but the functionality. It all intertwines. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I really appreciate your, your time and all the things that we've talked about. So inspiring. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for doing this podcast. You're doing great work. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press. Because I love you.